Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to dismiss the children for Children's Church. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Proverbs chapter 5. So several months ago, uh, I charted out our uh, sermon series in Proverbs. I was looking at the foundational uh, information and then some of the the topics that we were going to discuss, and I, I figured it was going to take us into July or early August. Um, and when it was known that I was going to be away on sabbatical, I looked at the schedule and I thought I should have Pastor Dustin do this message. Um, but I'm going to take one for the team this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about a subject that we don't always talk about in church. Um, I. When Brian mentioned that I shared a song with him, um, every week I, I send my scripture and the theme of what we're going to look at, and this was one of those weeks where it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what songs you pick for this subject, um, but the song before the throne of God above. And Jared, can you click on the, I think it's the second slide, When Satan Tempts Us Beyond Despair? Uh, it would be in the song before the throne of God above. So the reason why I chose th- this song is, you know, when we talk about sexuality, when we talk about the gift of sex, when we talk about those things that God has uh, provided for us in the boundaries and the, the grace and, and all those things, um, I, I just want us to know this morning that when we are tempted, we have a great high priest that can sympathize with us. And he knows our hearts, and when we are struggling, we can go to him. And when we fall, and we're going to talk about what this means later on, and when we come up short, the grace of Jesus Christ is completely sufficient. And so let us go before the throne of God above. And let's pray right now and ask God to help us. And so, Father, we we ask that in these moments that we have in your word, uh, that we would hear your voice above anything else. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And so work in a powerful way through your spirit as you teach us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, this is one of the most delicate and challenging messages that I've preached in quite a while. Uh, Our topic this morning, as I said, is sex. Uh, You know, it's that all-so-fun topic that everyone feels completely comfortable talking about. In fact, and this is an act of providence, um, this morning... My most recent pre-marriage counseling couple is here. They got married in September. And so congratulations again to the newlyweds, Aaron and Kristen. Uh, they, I didn't know they were going to be here, but when we do pre-marriage counseling, it's about 10 weeks long, and each session can be an hour and a half long. You know, we talk about different topics and subjects, and we always have a week on sex, intimacy. 
And it's the shortest week in all of the, the times because it's like, you know, uh, you know, everyone's given that, you know, what do we talk about? What do we say? All those kinds of things. But here is the thing. God says a lot about sex in the Bible. A lot. There's a whole book in the Old Testament about it. And you can try to spiritualize it all you want. It's not about spiritualization. It's about a husband and wife enjoying each other. The Song, the song of Solomon. God has said a whole lot. The Bible is not shy about it. The message of the Bible is clear. God created sex for our good. It's a gift. Sin, though, has destroyed it. Sin has tainted that goodness. And you can go back into the garden account. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. No issues. None. When sin entered in, they hid and clothed themselves because they were ashamed. And from that point on, this good gift has been tainted by sin. And so we need wisdom from God. We need wisdom from God to protect us from sexual folly. Because it will destroy us. The wisdom that God provides satisfies. It gives satisfaction to the heart that trusts in Him. And so sadly, we miss the Scripture's teachings on this subject, maybe due to embarrassment, or we believe it's a private matter. Right? Oh no, we, we don't want to talk about those things because that, that, that's a private matter. That's something that nobody should know about. And, and I would say this, married couples don't even talk about it a lot. Like we, we wall it off and say, we're not going to go there. The problem, though, is that while we all individually need to come to an understanding of these truths, nothing we do is in private. Nothing. Sure, our thoughts on sex and intimacy are not to be broadcast at large. You know, that, that, that's wisdom there, too. You know, it's not like we all just say, okay, you know, God talks about it, so let me talk about it. No, we're not saying that. But what I am saying is this, that nothing we do in this arena is truly private. God is everywhere. And God sees, and God knows the heart. He knows our thoughts, our attitudes, he knows the affections. And so we cannot hide from Him in our actions and thought life. He knows our thoughts from afar. That's David's point in Psalm 139. He can go to heaven or down to the depths of Sheol. God is with Him. He knows our thoughts from afar. He knows our words before we even say them. And the tragedy is that sexual sin has gripped our culture and bombards us from every angle. Our culture is overly sexualized. And as a fallen people, we celebrate deviations from God's intended gift. Because we have forsaken God's idea for sex and replaced it for a far shallow counterfeit, we are confused, 
we are overwhelmed, and we are unsure of its proper place in our lives. I mean, just look around. Look at the things just in your life that you thought would never be an issue for society and culture, and you think, oh my word, how did we end up here? And it's because culture has consciously, willfully taken steps to deviate from God's created order. And every step you take away from God, it brings you a step closer to worldliness, sinfulness, and totally abandoning the created gift that sex provides. I read this week uh, an account from a Christian counselor, and he estimates, and and this is based on his counseling and his ministry, um, that about 85% of all people will have premarital sex in culture today. And after marrying, he says, 25% of men and 15% of women will commit adultery. He goes on to say about half of men and one-third of women are looking at internet pornography at least once a month. This is a Christian counselor that primarily ministers to Christians. This is not an out-there problem. This is not an out-there issue. This isn't, oh, because we're redeemed, we have it figured out kind of thing. We need God's help. We are facing a tsunami of sexual destruction, and it is slamming against our culture, our world, our lives every day. And because it's a sin problem, it's an issue that we need to talk about. God talks about it. And so, church, it's time we lean in and we listen up to, sit, to what God is saying about this issue. It's time we stop being bashful, embarrassed, and confused. Hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. And believe that God has provided a better way to honor Him with this area of your life. Now, if you look in your bulletin this morning, it's not a typo. You will see that we're covering three chapters. Chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Really, the last part of chapter 6. But we're going to look at chapters 5, chapter 7, and the last part of chapter 6. And these chapters, early on in, in the organization of the book of Proverbs... The sayings of the wise king to the son. He's giving wisdom to his son about sexual purity. So, can I just take a quick step back? I I, I didn't prepare to say this, but if you're a mom or dad and you have children that are preteen or teenagers... You should be having conversations with your children about this. Do not let the world define to them what sex is. You should be guiding them and teaching them. And if you think just like I was when I was raising preteen kids thinking, uh, uh, I don't know. 
Like, you know, you feel lost, then what do I say? And how do I say it? And all those things. Uh, I found a very helpful resource from Focus on the Family. It's called the Passport to Purity. It would do you very well to invest in that resource. It's an audio CD set that you listen over a couple hours with your child, and there's a handbook that goes along with it, and, and you just make a big deal about talking about purity from God's perspective and asking God to give you help as you live your life. So Solomon took time to talk to his son. And really, God is speaking to us, and so we want to hear what God says. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is primarily talk about chapter 5. We're going to use chapters 6 and 7 as a support for what we're going to discuss, and we're not going to be able to cover everything. And so... um, uh, what, I, what I believe is God is going to give us a good foundation to build off on our own. You can go back and, and read these verses and, and, and ask God for wisdom as you study His Word. Uh, chapter 5 itself calls us to the task of listening to wisdom, and it shares with us what we need to know and concludes with a call to make a decision. And so there is a call to wisdom. There is the information that is given. And there is a response that is called for. What are we going to do? And what we need to know is broken down into two main sections. And it's really basically this. We can deploy our sexuality two ways, either for folly and destruction or in wisdom and satisfaction. Sex is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Proverbs 5 is saying, keep the fire in the fireplace. And stoke that fire as hot as you can. You see that? Here's the thing. You may be hearing at this point, oh boy, here we go with a bunch of warnings about sex. What not to do. And sure, they're there. Proverbs 5 and Proverbs Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 7 talk about those warnings. But tucked into the end of chapter 5 is the flip side. When we enjoy the gift of sex the way that God intended, it is good for us. There's satisfaction. It's good because it's a gift from God. It is the celebration of intimacy that God has designed for a husband and a wife. So we can't look at this passage and say, warning, 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 and then walk away and think, oh no, what am I ever going to do? I mean, it's a minefield and it's trouble, and so I might just avoid it altogether. No, that's not what God is saying. It's a gift. And so what he's saying is, here, yes, there are warnings I want you to heed, but yes, it is a gift that I've given you to your spouse. And so enjoy it. Enjoy the gift if you are married. Proverbs gives us not just the warning, but it also gives us positive encouragement. The joy that sex provides within the boundaries 
of a marriage. It is a gift. So let's look at Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 6. Before I read the verses, I just want to give you a sidebar kind of comment as we look at Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. There's this contrast that is given as the father is speaking to the son. And, and when you read Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7, there's a warning given to the son about the adulterous woman. Wisdom from the father to a son about the wiles of the adulterous woman. But here's the thing. The problem isn't that only women are adulterous. Like we can read this passage and think, Okay, well, it must seem like every woman is out to get a snare a guy. No. The father's speaking to the son. Uh, we need to back away and we need to be able to say that the prohibition and warning apply to son and daughter. Okay, so this could be a dad speaking to his daughter about the warnings about what is out, out there in the world. Or a mother speaking to a son about the warnings that are out there. While there are adulterous women out there, there are also adulterous men. Remember that. I I bring this up because I've heard people say, God is super hard on women. It seems like they're the ones that are always the ones that are tempting and uh, positioning and and all those um, things for for the sinful acts that come. No, it's not just them. And we just need to take that step back and acknowledge it. But listen to what the Father says. Proverbs 5, verse 1, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drips honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. And so in this call to wisdom, and what you see is, is a warning. And the warning is this, as father to son, as parent to child, when you live in a fallen culture, here is what you need to hear. You are going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. Listen to what he says, right? For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. It seems sweet, alluring. But notice the honey turns to wormwood. You know what wormwood is? It, it's a plant. It's extremely bitter. And there's a chemical that you can extract from this plant that has a poison in it that can actually paralyze you. What is the father saying to the son? Don't judge by the appearance. Oh, sweet words. Sweet as honey. The lasting consequences reveal the truth about the moment. Listen, the words may seem charming or flattering. Whether in person or by email or by text, it seems flattering. Oh, they're paying attention to me. 
oh, they're saying things to me that my wife doesn't say to me. It seems like honey. And in all reality, it's wormwood. Bitter. Listen. Adulterous affairs do not happen out of nowhere. People don't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll give this a try today. It's a slow, steady progression. The result, verses 4 and 5, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. Death. Spiritual and physical death are likely to follow. The father is saying to the son, My son, listen, your sexual integrity is life versus death. Everything you care about is on the line. Everything. And if you think this morning this isn't an issue for you, think, nah, not an issue. Watch out. Watch out. You're asking for problems. Be on guard. Be accountable. Be aware of what's going on around you. And so there's a warning, a call to wisdom. And then in verses 7 through 19, you have the bulk of this message. What we need to know is found in verses 7 through 19. This is what the Father wants the Son to know. Here's the message of what we need to know. In verses 7 through 14 of this passage, basically what Solomon is saying, keep your hands off of every other woman. Keep your hands off of every other woman. In verses 15 through 19, Solomon is saying, keep your hands on your wife. Some of you are like, did you just say that? Yes, I did. That's what the Word of God says. Notice Solomon specifically says, wife. Wife. Spouse. Listen, the joys of sex are only to be enjoyed by a husband and a wife. That seems old-fashioned today, right? It's the extreme minority view. Tragically, even in the church, it's time we redeem God's gift. God sets no other expectation for its enjoyment except for it to be enjoyed in the relationship of a husband and wife. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. We're to hold the marriage bed, the gift of intimacy, in high regard. Any sexual activity that exists outside of the marriage relationship is a sin against the holy God. We have to call it what it is. And so let's look at verses 7 through 14. Now then, my sons, 
listen to me. Notice the change there. Proverbs 5.1, my son. Proverbs 5.7, now then, my sons. He's talking to his children. Pay attention. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor incline my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. This is the warning to avoid the adulterous woman. And Solomon says, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. The crux of what Solomon warns is that sexual folly complicates everything. It is never just a minor transgression. It's like, and I've done this before, but the illustration, if you have a big jar of water and you take like one drop of food coloring, it covers everything. Sexual folly is like a wildfire that burns through a forest. It takes no prisoners. And it's never just an activity between only two people. What does Solomon say to his sons here? Well, he says in verse 9, you know, do not go in verse 8, to the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Sexual folly depletes the person that is caught up in it. It depletes them financially. Look at verse 10, and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Your resources, right, are depleted. Because you have forsaken the vows, and then you have what do you have to do if the, the relationship cannot be restored? You have to settle the relationship. It depletes your resources financially, it depletes you socially, it depletes you emotionally, it depletes you relationally. Listen, it seems enticing. One commentator wrote concerning these verses Satan shows the bait but he hides the hook. It looks alluring. And then he catches you. Giving into sexual immorality means we exchange vigor to others. Right? What is vigor? The energy to live. The joy of living and years to the cruel one. We exchange our years to the cruel one. 
The tragedy is that a moment or moments of fleshly indulgence come from a hardened attitude that thinks the person that is committing that act knows better than God. Look at verses 11 through 14 again. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof? I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. When you go through it and you look back, you think, how did I end up here? I mean, everyone told me in wisdom, don't do this, avoid this. I didn't listen. When the sin of immorality has resulted in tragic consequences, nothing is left to acknowledge except that my heart has spurned reproof. I have not listened. Turn with me to Proverbs 6. You might not have to turn there depending on how your Bible is laid out. I want to look at verses 20 through 35 for a minute. Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 35 are the consequences of sexual foolishness. Let me read these verses for you. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids for on account of a harlot one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched so is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife whoever touches her will not go unpunished men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry but But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied though you give many gifts. Do you see the consequences of what Solomon is saying here? Let's walk through this real quick. These verses highlight the high price of committing adultery. The high price. Wisdom warns. What does wisdom warn? Look at verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. So where does it begin? Not just with the honey, the flattery, flattering speech. But listen to what Solomon says in verse 25. It begins in the heart. Often not just with the pursuit of another in flattering speech. But Solomon says, do not desire her beauty in your heart. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a heart issue. What is Solomon saying to his son? Don't even go there in your thoughts. Don't even go there. If you are married, 
There is only one person that is reserved for those kinds of thoughts and affections, and it's your spouse. There's only one. It would be easier if evil was ugly, right? You'd say, oh, never. It's not how it works. If it were only that obvious. But even Satan comes to us disguised as an angel of light. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He's attractive. He's beautiful. And we're a lord to him. But he disguises himself from who he truly is. The pain is inevitable. Verse 27. Can a man take a fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Like that, that's just real practical truth. If Go home, maybe not today and have a campfire because it's blazing hot outside. Have a campfire, take the hot coals, put them in your shirt and carry it across the yard. Will you get burned? Yes. That's what Solomon is saying. You can't play with sexual sin and not get burned. I have never heard anyone say to me, Pastor, I committed adultery and I'm glad I did it. My life got a whole lot better. That was the best decision I ever made. I've never heard anyone say that. I have only heard the opposite. Regret, shame, wishing they could go back and change what they did. The pain is inevitable. The offense committed cannot be satisfied. I don't know if you picked up on this, but when I was reading this passage, you know, at first you might miss it, but he starts talking about if a guy's hungry and he steals food and all those things and then paying it back. Well, there there were rules, there were laws and and the, the commands of God that covered those kinds of things that if you were that desperate and you stole food, you could pay it back at some point. You could take care of that debt. Verse 30 says, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. And so when you hear about someone stealing food to survive, you're like, okay. Like, it's not the best thing, but it's not a big deal because he needs to live. And set within that backdrop of that illustration, you have a man stealing bread to survive And you have a man that has stolen the spouse, the wife of another man. And what does he say? Verse 34, for jealousy enrages a man and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. If you are the offending man, do not expect forgiveness, expect revenge. Why? Because what was considered special to that man is now corrupted. The offending husband, or the offended husband, will not spare because adultery attacks his home, his marriage, his honor, and his dignity. Verse 30 says that if a man steals, no big deal. But verse 33 says to steal another man's wife 
is a reproach that will not be blotted out by that man. That is the truth about sexual sin. It destroys. And it matters to God and it matters to us. But that's not the warnings that we hear. That's not what movies and songs and everything else that is in our culture tells us about it. And we're not just talking about adultery. We're just talking about plain old immorality. That the message of our world says, no big deal. If it feels good, do it. And God says, let me show you a better way. Church, we need to praise God that He is honest with us about this. He wants to help us walk in wisdom through the brothel of our modern world. So what does He do? He gives us strategies. That's where Proverbs 7 fits in. Proverbs 7 is a strategy of how to avoid the temptations. If you want to turn to Proverbs 7, we'll look at this. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. That's the warning. Now there's the illustration. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares and lurks by every corner corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Okay, does God get real about this? Absolutely, he does. So what do we learn Well, we learned some things here. Uh, Verse 6 says that Solomon, king, is on his palace balcony, and he's looking through the balcony, through the lattice, and he's noticing on the street this incident. 
And the way he talks about it is it's not an uncommon incident, but it's more of a common incident that's going on. And what does he say? Well, he says in verse 7, I saw among the naive. Now, if you remember from our study in Proverbs 1, the naive, as Solomon was laying out what wisdom is and and who should listen to wisdom, the naive is the one who is simple-minded, still exploring life, and they're feeling restless. They're the naive ones. The naive is out there. He's lacking sense. And he goes out for a walk. And where does he go? Where he's not supposed to be. Verse 7, A young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening. I say this to my kids all the time. There's not much good that happens in the dark. He is where he's not supposed to be. Listen, it would do you well right now as a married person and a single person to have boundaries in your life where you know where you're not supposed to be and you have accountability to keep it. The woman he meets in verse 9 comes to him in the middle of the night and in the darkness. If you're spending your time plotting and planning how to conduct yourself to get what your flesh wants, you're living in the darkness. The results are tragic. The woman that comes is cunning of heart. That word cunning means guarded. It's interesting. She comes with a cunning disposition throwing herself at this naive one. And they act upon it in a very intimate way. And you would think that act in and of itself would be an act of bringing people together. But Solomon says she is cunning, she's guarded And so in everything in her presentation, she says, I want you. And everything in her heart says, I'll never tell you who I am. Notice verse 14. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. What does she say to him? I went to church today. I went to the temple I did the religious thing. This guy thinks he's hit the jackpot. She's religious. As verses 16 and 17 says, she's very rich. I mean, her her bed is adorned with these aloes from far places and everything is laid out and perfect and good. And she promises, as verse 18 says, endless pleasure. Let us... Drink our fill of love until morning. One commentator noted on verse 18, to have a full sexual relationship with somebody is to give physical expression to what is meant to be a covenanted relationship. 
That is stable, faithful, and permanent. To say physically, I'm giving myself to you while emotionally and spiritually holding back from covenanted commitment is in fact to live a lie, a split in the personality which is ultimately stressful and destructive. And what does she say to him? She entices him, my husband's not home. Like she, he meets this woman, he, she, he doesn't know really much about her. He's like, all right, let's do this. I'm naive, I'm stupid, I'll go. And then she says, you know, my husband's not gonna be at home. Uh, red flag. Oh, you're married. Well, eh, I mean, it's wrong to do what I wanted to do with you, but especially now that I know that you're married. And she says, nobody will ever know. My, my husband's not home. He's not set to return until the full moon. I mean, really? If she's willing to betray her husband, why does this dummy think she will be fair to him? Seriously. When, not if, a man or a woman tempts you with the assurance that no one will ever know, that person is really saying to you, God does not exist. You can't hide from him. He's everywhere. But he falls for it. This man, this young man, naive one, falls for it. And what happens? Verses 22 and 23, as an ox goes to the slaughter, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. This naive one isn't the only one, though. History is like a battlefield with casualties of sexual folly lying everywhere. Many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. O church, let us heed the warnings from our loving Father and protect our hearts. And while we see the negative side of all this from the actions of the unwise, there is a positive side to all of this, and it's the gift that is provided. Turn with me back to Proverbs 5. When a husband and a wife live in the wisdom that God provides towards each other, it provides safety for each other and satisfaction. It's a gift. Look at Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Do you see the positive side of this? Do you see the gift of what Solomon is saying? Now, he begins it with the metaphor of fresh water in the cistern. 
This refers to the refreshment and satisfaction that comes from the union of a husband and wife illustrated in physical intimacy. Cisterns and wells and streams all refer to controlled water. Solomon is saying, control your appetite, control your desire. The gift of intimacy is the reward of moral purity. Sexual desires should be controlled and channeled in one's marriage, not wasted as earlier described in verses 7 through 14. Don't waste it. Don't be where you shouldn't be. Don't follow who you shouldn't listen to. Don't waste the gift. And then verses 18 through 20 get a little awkward. It's some of the most graphic language in all of Scripture. Solomon shares true sexual wisdom. Even though the years go by, Solomon says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Husbands, it doesn't matter how long you've been married, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And here's what I know we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary on Wednesday. My wife is more beautiful to me today than ever. Rejoice. Cherish her. Solomon applies a metaphor. Just be careful, men. It's not a pickup line with your wife. As a loving hind, which means a doe, and a graceful deer. Like, don't go home today and say, you know what? You're as pretty as a doe to me. (laughs) Husband, enjoy your wife visually, honor and enjoy her beauty. Of all the women on the face of the earth today, your wife is the only morally legitimate satisfaction of thirst for your sexual enjoyment. She's the only one. And then, I wish he didn't say this because I knew I would have to preach it. He says, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Enough said? Great, we're going to move on. But then you couple this with 1 Corinthians 7. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And just so you know, if it's unclear to you what the Apostle Paul was saying to the believers in uh, Corinth, he's saying, he's talking about sex. He's talking about intimacy between husband and wife. What he's saying is don't deprive each other. You couple what he says here in 1 Corinthians 7 with what Solomon wrote in, in Proverbs 5. And I know that my children are sitting in the front row. 
Intimacy between a husband and wife should be fun and frequent. That's what they're saying. But here's the thing, though, because please don't go home and say, okay, we're going to apply the scriptures today. (laughs) And I know we're live streaming and I'm going to get flagged for this. Here's the thing, though, that we miss. Intimacy begins long before you reach the bedroom. Don't go home and say, this is what God says. Intimacy begins long before you reach the bedroom. If you're not building relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, relational intimacy, if you're not serving your spouse, if you're not listening to them, how do you ever expect to enjoy the gift of intimacy in a sexual relationship? So there it is, a warning and a gift. Pursue wisdom. But there's something else I want to address before we wrap up. What if you messed up? What if you're sitting here today and say, I get what you're saying, but that's not my experience. I wish it was. I'm on the other side of this. What if you have sinned? What if you've been foolish? There is always a way back to healing. There is always a way back, and it's through humility. Look at Proverbs 5 again. Verses 12 through 14. And you say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof? I have not listened in the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instruction. So, just, just for a second here, you get the sense that this person that now is experiencing the weight of sexual sin is, is realizing, how did I blow it? But look at verse 14. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Just like the younger son who returned home in the parable of the prodigal son. If you turn home, you will find a father who will welcome you home. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God is ready to embrace you. Yes, even in the midst of your bad, sinful, foolish decisions. So the question is, will you come home today? God will receive you and rejoice over you and renew you. He will give you your life back. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things come. 1 Corinthians 6.11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In Revelation 21.5, this is Jesus, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. And so come to Christ and be forgiven.
Come to Christ and learn sexual wisdom as a gift of His grace. And so I know we're almost out of time. I didn't want to make this a two-parter, and the last message I give you before sabbatical is, hey, let's talk about these things. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to dismiss you um, for our Sunday school time. Ask God to give you grace and wisdom. And if you seek His face, wherever you are in the spectrum of all the things we talked about today, He will help you. He will give you the victory in His Son. And so let's pray.